0: Matthew chapter 7, I want to look at Jesus and his parting words in the Sermon on the Mount. We all know it well. And not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of the Father which is in heaven. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. Then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, and doth do of them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. The rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and, the beat, the, and beat upon the house, and it fell not for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Lord, we thank you for just the reading of your word. And Lord, we ask that as we look at it tonight that you would take out of it something for each one of us, some word from heaven that would strengthen, speak to us, guide us, train us, help us. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, here, you know, we have Jesus obviously giving to us the contrast essentially between a wide builder and a a foolish builder. But it's also something I think is equally appropriate for a wise leader and a wise and a foolish leader. But first of all, when you just look at what he has to say here, the first thing about a wise builder, a wise leader, is number one, he builds his own house. Obviously, that's what's going on here. And sadly, you know, as Jesus gives this, there's a lot of people that did a lot of building. But it wasn't their own life they built. And they while they were building all sorts of others' lives, I did this and I did that. I, You know, I, I cast out devils. I prophesied your name. I did wonderful works. But he looks there and he said, first of all, you, we're talking about your own house, your life. Your house, what you're building in the debate. He didn't debate it at all there, any fruit of it, or what was done in his name, or said, no, you didn't. He didn't do any of that. No, he didn't say that. His Word doesn't return void. No doubt many do those things, and there's fruit in it. People can get saved. Wonderful things can happen. Prophesy. Speak forth in your name. I mean, if God only had perfect vessels through which he'd speak, uh, it never happened. On one hand, of course, he could speak in the thunder of his own voice any time that he wants. Uh, and, and flawlessly and powerfully, but he has chosen to use human beings and we're all flawed to one degree or another. But the point here is, is that even with a flawed vessel, God obviously uses us, but, and so his word doesn't return void when we use it, but for us to think that that is now the basis of, um, of my life. Now, because I have done something and there's been a certain amount of fruit from it, that may not be the case at all because it can return void within me, though it bears fruit in another. And Christianity, above all, and first of all, it's a personal journey. It's a personal longing, in a sense, for a person to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Funny, I was sitting back just kind of praying in my heart, going through the message one more times, I kind of do, and a young man there asked a question at first. I you know, wanted to kind of, well, I thought, well I, but I said, no, what is it? What do, and, he, and he said, what is the objective? Of life, immediately I just turned and I said, David said it, that I, 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 I he says, I want to awaken thy, thy presence. That's what it is above all else that, you know, that, that that's when somebody's joy and their identity is fulfilled. That's when it has all happened when they're conformed into his image. That's what it's all about above all else. And uh, our personal journey, that's what it's got to be above all else. Job said, you know, naked came I into this uh, world out of my mother's womb and naked I'll return. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But at the same time, in one sense, that's, that's true, but in another sense, perhaps not true. It's true, we come in naked, go out naked, so to speak, but not spiritually. We come in naked. We come in destitute, desperate, lost, hopeless, dead in our trespasses and sins, but hopefully we go out fully clothed in Jesus. We go out in this incredible spiritual life there and uh, being clothed in him. Not having our own righteousness, but his. But so therefore, first and central of all life is simply, who am I in Jesus? It's just that simple. Never that, that that never changes. And a wise man is somebody there, and a wise leader is somebody who builds his own house. Above all else, that's what it is. And I, I think that that one of the things, I mean, Jesus talks all the way through back and forth in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, he says, Broad is the, the gate, broad is the way that leadeth unto destruction. Many there be that go in thereat. But narrows the gate, narrows the way that leads unto eternal life. Few there be that go on in thereat. And I think sometimes, just as, as sure as just our our, you know, our lives, obviously many go the broad way. But the very most important thing of all is: what about my life? Where am I going? And the great disaster is: is that many not only people, but many leaders, also go the broad way themselves. They get tripped up and taken down on that disastrous road one way or another trying to broaden it out, trying to you know, go the way that they want to and whether it's wealth or women or, or, or it's you know, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, passions, possessions, position, whatever these things are that have always been stumbling and destroying and decaying human life since the very beginning, have always been around and they, they, they take a toll not on just anybody's life but also a leader as well just as easily. In fact, sometimes I think this is happening now even more than ever. And the world, therefore, I mean, and right now it's being torn to shreds. We're looking at the last days and we're looking at all of these things that the Bible talks about. And there's great stress on the entire planet. You don't have to be any great uh, news you know, person to follow that and realize things are going on to a level of stress and strain. Throughout the whole planet, every system seems to be stretched and struggling and fighting for survival almost. But also within all of this, there's a, there seems to be a major uh, failing and struggle that goes on within the church as well. And I suppose one of the fundamental simple reasons for it is is that the church oftentimes, instead of requiring... Uh, and uh, they're amongst its, its leaders and the people that it follows wanting to f- looking for maturity, looking for depth of character. Oftentimes we're seeing, particularly in many large uh, ministries, we're seeing that what is really sought after is talent. Uh, this, this, are they talented? Do they do it in such a way, in a fashion that is attractive and desirable to people? And there seems to be very little emphasis on character. It, not, it doesn't seem to be in demand like talent is. But the sad thing is, is that one day, uh, you know, talent, if it surpasses character, character rarely catches up. You look there and, 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 and uh, the talent takes over and, and, and oftentimes destroys character. You look at Hollywood, you look at almost any realm where people have become successful. And if they're successful at it, and they do well, and, and the world really thinks a lot of them, or athletics, baseball, basketball, football, tennis ball, give anybody that can do anything with a, with a ball, and if they're great, so often they're incredibly talented, but you, when you uh, watch them, their character is extremely flawed. It's immature. Talent is taken over, and, it's, it, and it destroys character, it seems. It doesn't really force it to grow. And because now they can be what they want to be based on talent. They can succeed and the world will come to their doorstep and give them whatever they want. And here, you know, when there's the result, we're seeing as well in ministry. All around the world, you know, I don't even have to, you know, not to, you know, Calvary, we certainly have our problems. Had them, we all know and love. I still love Bob Coy very much. But we know the disaster we've seen in, under our own roof. But when you look at Hillsong, and if you've seen what has happened to them of late, whether Carl Lenz and uh, Brian Houston or Jerry Falwell Jr., uh, things, Ravi Zacharias, James McDonald, Jim Baker, Jim Swagger. the list goes on and on uh, that is going on. The Southern Baptists are having, it's, it, there just seems to be something to across uh, lines. They're everywhere within ministry. Talent. Somehow or another, it's, you know, it's, it, it's, it's sought after, but then it destroys because talent seems to build up, but it builds up on sand. It builds up on the sand of human qualities. It thrives on self self-ability, self-capacity. And one day, self, if, that's a, if it's allowed to be built on that and built upon talent, you know, one day, self, it recklessly breaks away from its moorings and, you know, and, and then all of a sudden, it turns on its master and it destroys them. And down they go. And many are stumbled with it as well. But character builds up. Character is something there. It builds somebody itself on Jesus. Character isn't on the upward or you know, thing like self wants to be. Character is built on going downward. As John the Baptist, he looks there, he wasn't worthy to unlatch Jesus' sandal. And he looked there and he says, he must go on increase, I must go on decreasing. I want more and more of him. There's got to be less and less of me. I'm the one that gets in the way constantly. Like Paul said, he says, those things were gained into me. I, I counted a loss. You know, for Christ and Dallas, I count all a loss for the excellency, the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And do count them but dung that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God by faith. Not by me, not by myself, not by anything there at all, but oh, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, there being conformable unto his death, if by any means. There he says, I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead anything, whatever it is, and not as though I've already attained. Immediately, even as he talks about it, mothers might look at him and think if there's anything about him at all, he says, no, I haven't, you know, there attained or I'm already perfect at all, but he says I do press on. I do press on. I do have something I want to apprehend that which I am also apprehended of. He is apprehended me, and I want to apprehend him. He's after me, and I'm after him. Paul could say that is what it is. But brethren, I count not myself to apprehend, but this one thing I do: forgetting those things that are behind. Reaching forth, I press on toward the mark of the prize, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And sadly, how often is it that we see this in life? We see this today as the mark, as the design and the desire. Alan Redpath used to say, "It, it takes a crucified man to preach a crucified Christ. Oswald Chambers, you said the whole objective of the Christian life is to be lost in God. I've always loved that. It's one of those things that's just kind of I don't know, just mystical in a sense, but almost about it, that I want to be lost in you. I want to you know, just, just lose everything else, you know, let it all behind, and now just to be found in him, lost in him. And there is something, there. Were, you know, that God looks at us. And here when you see the Sermon of the Mount, what built upon and build your own house? You see, God looks at us. You build your character. I'll take care of your career. Don't worry about where you're going. Never think about and be concerned about any of that. Or as Jesus said, many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, haven't I prophesied in your name? Haven't I cast out devils in your name? And haven't done wonderful works. But to think after doing, spending your life. Somebody here has, has spent their career. Somebody here has spent a life doing this, building this house. You know, you got one on rock, one on sand. Maybe they had the same plumbers, electricians, framers, <laughs> you know, all the, all the subcontractors, all the same. But one of them was built on a rock. One of them was built. But both of them, it, 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 the costliness of it, the time, the energy effort that went into it, but one of them was built on self. One of them was, uh, you know, there was somebody still trying to find themselves instead of lose themselves. There was still somebody trying to discover themselves, make something for themselves, some identity, something that seemed to be missing within them that wasn't Christ himself. And that's who I'm missing. That's what I'm missing. That's what I'm lacking. Rather than that, they build and build and put in sometimes great amount of labor. And on one hand, I think from God's perspective, they're no different than Hollywood or anybody else. Anybody, you know, whether they just didn't have a Hollywood script or they didn't have a baseball or a basketball or a football that they went around in. It was the truth. It was the gospel. It was the Bible. And it had whatever fruit maybe came out of it. But as for the person themselves. It's something where they missed it. And what a contrast that is, (laughs) again, back to Paul, who said, according to my expectation and my hope, that in nothing I will be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, I now, also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. I've got one objective, one desire, one thing, and that is more of him and less of me all it is oswald Chavers once said conscious repentance produces unconscious holiness when there's somebody there there were less and less of, of me and more and more of you that's it and sometimes we can get so wrapped up in building a house in all the projects of ministry all the things of leadership all the responsibilities all the the stuff and they so you know, they can overwhelm the issue of, of getting up there and saying jesus are you the foundation truly Am I being built up in you? Are you the one that's building my house, my life? But a wise builder, not only in a wise leader, not only his own house is he building, but he's also, he's building his leaders upon the rock. Not only his own life on the rock, but he's building others. That's the, the next pursuit I think that he really have. You know, everybody knows and loves the Sermon on the Mount. But sometimes we forget the very first sentence of it before it even happens. For it begins, it says, And seeing the multitudes. Here Jesus looking at seeing the multitudes, he went up unto a mountain when he was set. His disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, and blessed are they who mourn, and blessed are the meek, and blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are ye, when men shall persecute you and say oh, men are of evil against you falsely for my sake. But then he goes on and he looks at his disciples. As he's talking about them. You, I'm talking to you. I'm seeing them in the distance. That's, that's, that's an end issue here, but the primary topic here is you. He looks at them and he says, You, you are the salt of the earth. The salt has lost its savor. You know, where was it Be salt is henceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and trodden under the foot of men. You, he's looking at his, you are this You are the light of the world, a city that is set upon a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick that it giveth light to all that are in the house. Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. This is between me and you. Jesus, he's not just—he's deeply concerned as he is building. On the leaders he's building to, to, to reach the masses with. To see the multitudes. Seeing the multitudes, he takes them aside. And that's what a leader wants to do. Finds there that they want to take them aside. And just as if to say, now listen, fellas, if you, you know, are poor in spirit. If you realize your own spiritual poverty, you know, spiritual condition. And you realize you mourn over it. You grieve over it. It produces a meekness within you that produces a hunger and a thirst after me. You will be filled. I fill you incredibly. I fill you with a merciful heart, a merciful spirit, a pure heart, a peacemaker's heart, a heart that can take whatever persecution and everything else they bring upon you. And in that process, you will be the salt and you will be the light that will change the world. Jesus, he's looking at his leaders. And to me, a leader not only is building his own life, he's he's deeply concerned about those that, that he's building with, those others that are around him. But I think that an unbroken man, an undisciplined leader, who also perhaps at least subconsciously, if not consciously, realizes, hey, any successes I've had, it's really based on me and my talent. And my ability to draw a crowd and work a crowd and do the masses or whatever else it is. And because he, he looks in his own heart and all he sees talent, he, all he does is look for talent in others. It is, a, you know, what, what, what succeeded for me, my talent, is what I look for in others. I want a team of talented people. But a person that has succeeded and realizes, no, the issue is being conformed to the image of Jesus. The image is one day I'll be satisfied when I wake in thy likeness. The image is there is that there's more and more of him and less and less of us. And that when that is something that happens in a leader's heart, he wants it in those that are around him. He, you know, he wants the same characteristics. He looks for those characteristics. And there's something there on one hand, no matter what it is, will will still. You know, we, we hope we lead and hope we mentor and hope we help produce others' lives. There'll still be the frustrations of seeing others go astray, that you can't stop that. Paul talked about Hymenaeus and Alexander. He talked about Demas, who was forsaken. Even Paul, you can imagine here, perhaps the greatest missionary and discipler ever according, or I mean, as a human being, but still not even as good as the great mentor, the perfect mentor, Jesus himself, even he had Judas. That no matter what he did for three and a half years, mentored and modeled and poured his heart and his life day and night into these 12 men's lives. But there was one of them that sat there. Didn't go for any of it. And then when Jesus even said, he did such a great job of fitting in that nobody could detect it. Because when Jesus said, one of you will betray me, they they didn't say, oh, hello. You finally figured that out, Jesus. (laughs) You know, it's, it's Judas, of course, you know, no they said is it i said me they all knew i've got that capacity for failure i've got that capacity to fail the lord and let him down when he longs for me which we all do and always will but when we have that sense within it but the one that doesn't have that sense is usually the one that ends up to be the failure so there'll always be that even the great ones, you know, succeeding as great disciples and leaders. But when there's somebody still, this is my primary job. If I want to reach the masses out there and I want to go do, you know, ministry and reach as many as we possibly can, then I've got to pour my life into my fellow leaders. Those that are around with me, those that share life with me, those that share ministry with me. And there, when there's something like that that's beginning to happen, Then something wonderful happens. One of the things that I love, as most people know, that I love Joe very dearly. We've been together decades. And somehow or another, you just find in life, there's some that you just get kind of joined at the hip at or somehow. But in years, I don't know how many times I've sat in on meetings, which every week they have, they sit down, the staff. They all share, they all pray all talk about what's going on in their life or their ministry. It's all an open book. It's always something to dress. They all share the scriptures. They all make sure that we're all here. It doesn't mean that they don't fail. I'll tell you, Jerry Paradise is a mess. I don't know why they keep him here. No, I'm just <laughs> He just dove under a pew. I don't know where he is. No, there he is. I'm... I pick one of the greatest success stories around here to make fun of him but maybe there's conviction I don't know Jerry do you have something you want to deal with now (laughs) (laughs) but to me when somebody looks that's what we want to be about while we've got all these other things that we do week in and week out and all these other responsibilities that when we break up every week we all have to disperse and go in different directions but this this is important one of the things through the years, I don't know how many times, there's the simplest book to me in all the world almost ever written, a fellow named Gene Getz. I met him a couple times, did a, little, a couple conferences with him. But he wrote a, a little book, a very simple book on Timothy and Titus called The Measure of a Man. And it's just a book that goes through the qualities of leadership in Timothy and Titus. All through the years, I'd have, I always had a discipleship, always had we'd sit down and we'd go through the qualities You know, where are you at? Whether in your home, your marriage, your family, your anger, your your covetousness. One thing after another as we talk and share and pray one for another. We're all sinners. Nobody Nobody fulfills those things until Jesus does something in our life. I don't just decide to be this kind of a person. God, by his Holy Spirit, makes us that. He forms that. But as we pray and we seek and God help us and build us. You can look at all those things, and somebody, you know, you know, you say you're not a striker, and yet so often we've got that potential, not covetous. we write, oh man, go down the list, and if we're honest, God, all of these things, you know, there but for the grace of God go I. Down this, you know, that, that you must save me, and uh, and uh, but when you look as, as as leaders and as a team and working together. Another book that I've loved so much, a fellow named Robert Coleman worked. He worked with Billy Graham Ministry in Gordon-Conwell College and places, but I've I've, I've loved the book. Somebody gave it to me many years ago. I was early on as a Christian. It's a book called The Master Plan of Evangelism, but it evaluates the ministry of Jesus and how he went about it, and and he's very careful that he breaks it up into these things. He calls them the three, the 12, and the 70, and the masses. And Jesus was always cognizant who he's with. There was, uh, there's the three, the Peter, James, and John. There was the twelve of the obvious disciples. And there was, you know, the seventy that went out. And then there was the masses. But so often, Jesus, there was the masses. He, you know, they, they, they were always out there. But it was something there as he's, as he's looking there at the three and the twelve. He realizes the masses. Don't, that, that not the issue. Yet it's Peter, James, and John that they seemed to be hungrier and desirous of more of him. And longed for some more, not that they were any better than men, they just had a better sense of heart and desire somehow or another. But Jesus there he took the three and he took the twelve and he took the seventy as far as he could take them all. Because he realized one day I'd be leaving and, and, and the masses I'll turn them all over to you. You're going to take care of the masses. And greater works than I've done will you do, and that's greater, of course, in quantity. I'm limited to one body now, one one place a day, one ministry at a time, one sermon at a time. But if if the if it's happened with the three and the 12 and the 70, and then it begins to multiply it, and then the you three, you take three, and you take 12, and you got 70, and then the next thing, you, you get the idea, you get the memo, you pour your heart and your life into others, you'll get it. And there was something there that Jesus, he was so concerned about the characters of his disciples. It was deeply, you know, that, that riveted upon that, their character. There wasn't just something there within them. That, but he looked there at evangelism, the reaching of the world. It depended upon their sanctification. They're being set apart for God. And Jesus was very bold to request that. If you want to be a part of this team, you want to, get to you know, be a part of it. He was so bold. If you're not, if you're not for me, you're against me. There was something there that they would hear, and they would know, "If any man come out, come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross daily, and follow me. The, there you'll find yourself, you want to come, you want to be a part of it. This is what it is. If any man come after me and hate, not his mother, father, wife, children, yea, even his own life, he's not worthy of me. If there is anything else in your entire world that you care for more than me. You made a big mistake because they're all fallen, they're all human. If you love anybody else, anything else, you should hate the fact that how did they get that place in your heart? How did a thing or a person or an event or a place or anything become more precious? You should hate how did that get in the way of Jesus? And he was very clear about it. He didn't kind of ease it in as a little thing with time. He was right open about it. Very clear. I want obedience. I want surrender. And he was very clear. That's what his life was all about himself. He made him very clear. I'm not asking for anything different from you than I am myself. Jesus there he, 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 you know, takes from both Psalm 40 and, I, and, and, and Hebrews. There when he talks about his, voice, his body belonging to God, yielded to him. There was something, you know, that there a body thou hast created me. Then said I, Lord, it is written of me in the volume of the book to do thy will. Yea, O oh my God, I delight to do your will. Yea, your law, your law is written within my heart. I do only, always those things that please the Father. I can't own self do nothing. But as I hear, I respond and my response is always right because I seek not mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. That's what I want from you. You want to follow me. You want to be used for my glory. You want to be somebody there that's a full participant in the, your, your, the, why you were created in the first place. What a human being is really all about. You want to know the maximum of what it is. Jesus said, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, the glory that I had with you before the world began. Everything you and I ever shared. I want to share it with them. I want it in on it. But everything I've been to you, do I do only, always those things that please the Father. John 8 29 in the Amplified. It's all I do. And I delight to do thy will. And when somebody is looking saying, I want those verses for me, Jesus embed them upon my heart and upon my life, that that is what I would desire to. And is what he expected of any disciple. You know, the Pharisees pestering and pestering. Who are you? Where did you come by? How do you do the things you do? Finally, he turns to him and he says, look, you want to know, I'll tell you I am? I'm the bread of life. Whosoever eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life. And this is not like that manna that your father did in the wilderness and are dead. But whosoever eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life. I'll raise him up at that last day. Jesus said, I'll tell you who I am. I'm the basic sustenance of the human soul. I'm the bread of it. Fundamental nourishment. And then, sadly, many of his disciples went. After this, they heard he had a lot of disciples. A lot of people called him as disciples. Many of his disciples went and walked no more with him and said, this is a hard thing. Who can hear it? Jesus then turns to his disciples and he says, "Will you leave me also?" Peter said, "Well, where else do we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Wow, that's encouraging. These are your best friends. Well, maybe if it, you got you got a monopoly on eternal life, where else can I go? I would check it out maybe if it was, <laughs> but <laughs> I can't. You got it, <laughs> you know so." That's got to be exciting and rewarding. Wow, these are the guys, (laughs) these are my best friends. And they're looking for a way out themselves. But when there's something, we realize, Lord, I don't want to go any other place. I don't want to be found any other place. And not only I want to be found there, I want to bring many others into it. I want to, you know, like Hebrews, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation of the day of the temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me and proved me and saw my works for 40 years, but they do always err in their heart, they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath they will not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest they be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. There's something that happens. I want to be found in Him, with all of my heart, with all of my life. Here, you know, today, when you look the world today, you know, I think so sadly, many get so wrapped up in the masses. That we ignore the three, we ignore the 12, we ignore the 70. And here, you know, one of the things that's always been true about, the, I think, anything that, that just goes for the masses, you know, on one hand, they get maybe all sorts of statistics and how many people showed up and how many came forward, but I think most all those other statistics all show that somebody that just goes for the masses, they end up, it's a mile wide and an inch deep. They ignore the three. The 12 and the 70 then they have to look at all the masses but something an inch deep dries up overnight but when somebody looks and realizes lord we want to be together here the lord says you and you know about them you, you you've air in your heart you've not known my ways you know, you don't know my ways. Psalm 103, 7 says that he made known his ways unto Moses and his acts unto the children of Israel. Children of Israel, a million of them could tell the acts of God. They could all tell you, oh man, it was something to plagues. Water to blood, lust to l- dust, to lice. The plagues that he brought, (laughs) I'm unbelievable. Opens up a river, walk through on dry land, clothes set up on the enemy, water out of rock, men out of heaven, quail out of the sky, opens up the earth, swallows an enemy, raises a rod high, Amalek's destroyed. And they, 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 they could all write a book. They could all give a testimony. I was there. I know the acts of God. You know why I did it? No, no, I don't. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. Moses knew why. Moses knew what made him tick. And there's, there's something there. I mean, the masses, they all knew with Jesus, they knew his acts. I mean, they, they saw him. He, I mean, he calmed the seas. You know, there he, you know, loaves the fishes, you know, multiply. stops them, heals the sick, raises the dead, casts out demons. Wherever he went, massive came out. But he was never fooled by it. He says, you you just like the ax. You just want bread. You don't want me. You don't know me. I'm just the latest dog and pony show in town. He looked there and he wasn't ever fooled by that. But But the disciples, they knew what made him tick. They knew why. They knew what motivated his heart. They saw him weep. They saw him love. They saw him care. And you know, today we're heading into a world in very hard times and difficult there were times, perilous times, the worst of all times ever. Famines, earthquakes, pestilence, you know all the lists. Wars, rumors of wars, all of that. Time, as Paul tells Timothy, men will be you know, lovers of their own selves and covetous and boasters and proud and blasphemers and disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. It just goes on and on and continent one thing after another. Whole world falling apart, traitors, having a form of godly but denying their the power thereof. But he says, but you fully know my doctrine, my life, my manner of life, my faith, my long suffering, my charity, my patience, my persecutions, afflictions. And he shaved but he says and yea all they that live godly in christ jesus will suffer persecution everybody and you know of course today sadly you know there's many times we don't preach sin people don't want to hear about sin we want to hear about what they can be be all you can be we want, you know, we don't, we don't want confession or repentance or brokenness or godly sorrow. We don't want to have people at the end of our message say, search me, oh God, you know, and know my heart, try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. No, nobody wants to hear that. That's not any longer. That's, that's old stuff. But yet at the same time, we're heading into a time of the world. There were people may want to build and hope they could build. Could you imagine trying to build a church today in Ukraine? Today? It'd be difficult, wouldn't it? Trying to build a Sodom and Gomorrah or some places almost. There you you just can't build upon a rock overnight. It takes it takes diligence, it takes heartache, it takes prayer, it takes caring. There's something there to build there. I mean, here, you know, anybody can build quickly and throw something up quickly on, you know, on the sand, perhaps. But at the same time, when they do that, still the rains descend, the floods come, the winds blow, and they beat against the house. And it'll fall. And we're watching a world today where everything is in decline. Governments, economies, nations, everything, you know, we all know the list. The world is falling to pieces. the water is rising, the rain is falling and descending, the wind is beating upon the house, and we're in the middle of a tsunami. And handing out copies of your best life now is not gonna cut it. (laughs) I mean, we laugh, but it isn't. When we're looking there at people that'll be looking at us and their lives are in crisis, massive crisis. The world is falling apart. And they aren't built upon a rock. They're not solid in it. They're not somebody there that we have done all we can. To re- they're there that Christ must be magnified in your body by life or by death. Whatever it is. They know this. They understand this. Christians may be in China or maybe in Russia. Some of them pray for us. But when we're looking here at what's going on in the world and it comes down, realize What is failing? Hebrews 12 says once more, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens. Matthew twenty four twenty four, And there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, even the elect shall be deceived. I mean, times there are perilous times, times of which there's no answer. And the only hope is that people are founded upon the word. That's the rock. Christ, his word, and that's the word we have. That's what reveals him. You know, even Hebrew or Psalms say, he exalts his word above his very name. And, uh, I mean, even you know, anybody can take the name of Jesus and do whatever they want to with it. Anybody, any religion, anybody, anywhere. But his word, he exalts his word in our time, where we are now, he exalts his word above his name. And somebody says, I believe in his name. Well, then how, how do you subscribe to his word? Where is the word within your life? Artaxerxes, he commanded Ezra in Ezra 25 and 725, And thou, Artaxerxes, after the wisdom of God that is in thine hand, set in magistrates and judges, which may judge all the people that are beyond the river, and all such as know the laws of thy God, and teach them that know, those that know it not. And whosoever doeth not the law of God in the law of the king, let judgment be executed speedily upon them, whether it be unto death or to banishment or to the confiscation of goods or imprisonment. Here he says, Ezra, you go and you get the word of God out. And if they don't go for it, you can kill them. Banish them. and confiscate everything you've got. And whether, you know, obviously it's not, we're not to do that. But if they don't, they'll die slowly. Everything they ever lived for will be confiscated. They'll lose it all. And whether it happens in a moment with an Ezra or it happens slowly because we don't do it like they did, but something there to realize we need him. And then one last thing, that somebody there, they not only build their own life and they also want to build others around them. But they want there to build deeply upon the Word of God and stay balanced. And, you know, one of the things that has always been around is bad theology. It's always been around. I know when uh, I came in 71 on staff at Costa Mesa, and at the time there was a thing called beaming blessings, no matter what it was then or what it is now. but And then, you know, there was the manifested sons of God, and then there was the shepherding doctrine. And these things that came along, and through the years, just just all these different theologies, these different doctrines that came along, and whether it was the uh, you know, positive confession or the Toronto blessing or the Hillsong stuff or one thing after another, one. It's you know I remember one time Chuck saying, dealing with one thing and trying to. And each one, when they would come in, they'd stumble many, confuse many, or uh, lead people astray. Chuck, you so diligent in the word. he get people into the word. Lay it out. This is what they're what it's saying. This is what the word's wrong. This is where you've got to get it straight and go on. And he'd come and he says, here we are. One One second, by the time we're trying to shove something out the back door, the front door's open and the enemy's sending in another one. Another one just comes. It's just going to be. And, you know, that's so true. You know, and what, what goes around comes around. It just changes itself and it finds itself a new form. One of the things, I, and in seminary, I don't remember an awfully lot. One thing, but there was, but I, church history of all things, there were some things. Thomas Aquinas, interesting fellow, you know, back 12th century. But he was, he's still probably, I think, one of the greatest known and favored Catholic theologians. Still, he was a brilliant man, wrote a lot. But according to Aquinas, monarchs are God's representatives over the territories. And, but the church is represented by the popes, and they are above the kings in matters of doctrine and ethics. Well, as a consequence, basically, of that theology, the rulers, they were obligated to adapt themselves and their laws to the Catholic church doctrines and determinations. And uh, Thomas Aquinas, he wrote, quote, unquote, he said, if a sovereign were to order these judicial precepts to be observed in his kingdom, he would not sin. He taught and believed a thing called general equity, theonomy. Now, theonomy, it's the assertion there that, uh, the, uh, the, of the abiding validity of the law of God in exhaustive detail. Well, by the time Aquinas was through writing, he initially was labeled a heretic. But when some 50 years he went from being a heretic to being made a saint... And they grasped on to these things and took them always. That's the way false doctrine is. They take it to a greater extent, even than the one who kind of thinks it through and writes it up. Because what they got out of this, because of the fact that the Catholic Church was over the magistrates, the magistrates were to be in submission to the Catholic Church. There that essentially what it came down to is now, but that they were, there was abiding validity and the law of God in exhaustive detail. And therefore the magistrates and the, the political system, the Catholic Church was now set over the political life and ultimately banking laws, business, arts, entertainment, education, the family, and ultimately media. The Catholic, you, you did something in the arts and painted a picture of the Pope that was not friendly, they could kill you for it. You didn't mess with it. Some 300 years, if you were born and raised or you know, knew much of, of life in Europe, basically you know, the, the, the church did the thing that so often we all wish, man, if we could just get all the right people into the political power. And we could get Congress, and we could get the state houses, and we could get the school districts, and we could get, you know, all of these areas of life. You know, and and this is, the Catholic Church actually succeeded in this. If you go over to Italy and you read and study on the Medici family, you realize every, the Catholic Church ruled banking. You couldn't even move commerce without the Pope, without having what they interpreted to be God's law. Sometimes we look at the popes and said they were wicked midwits, no doubt about that. But there was worse than just being wicked. They, they were heretics who believed that they were carrying out God's job on the earth. By, by ruling ed, the education system, the political system. Kings came and went by them. They had a death grip on basically all the realms of society for 300 years. Like we we dream of. I just think, man, give me it. Let me have this power for a while. I can fix this country, you know, and we all kind of think. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe completely you should vote your heart out. I believe you. You know, to me, you, you need to register. People need to register that we, because we are the government here, and the, and you need to go down to your school boards if they're doing stuff. You need to get involved in city hall. You need to want to see God raise up all of these political things. But that's secondary. The primary thing is that Jesus, you know, turns, you know, and when, when Jesus said, "Whom do you say that I am?" and Peter answered that the Christ. Son of the living God. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood. And not revealed this to you. My Father in heaven. And upon this rock. I'll build my church. That truth. And thou and so on one hand. I mean I am. Why, I, I, but, but to realize there. That if we accomplished all of these other things. That we pray for and that we long for, and that we should, or we're poor stewards. So we do that. But we go back. At the end of the day, my job is heaven and eternal life and conforming people into the image of the Lord Jesus with everything in me. And part of that will involve their, their being a person in a society that is incredibly responsible and godly and mature and reflects that. But above all else, that we find ourselves there, realizing I'm here for his name, in his message, in his life, and I can't conform the country into his image. But I can start with wanting to see mine and my fellow laborers. How often do you pray and care then long that those that you serve alongside are being conformed to the image of Jesus, that their life, their marriage, their walk. It's becoming more and more in his likeness. that That's the goal. That's attainable. That we're to do. Bearing one another's burdens. Fulfilling the law of Christ. And so when we find ourselves, Jesus, help us and strengthen us and call us. Lord, we thank you for your word and thank you, Lord, for your love. And Lord, I feel like I've been rather somber. I don't Cared to be that way particularly but Lord I we look at the world out there and it's burning up it's falling apart it's utter chaos it doesn't have any idea where it's going for the most part and in the midst of it sometimes the church is trying to figure it out too we shouldn't be we have it right in our hands we have it right before us that above all else is the manual in our hands and so, Lord, while we deeply pray for our country, but, Lord, we're a very small percent of the world. We look at Ukraine. We look at Russia. We look at China. We look at Afghanistan. We see the sorrow and the grief. We see Africa. Realize, Lord, how lost, how utterly lost and terribly, Lord, that we would be once that we long for the world. But, Lord, while we long for it, help us to never forget our own our own life our own soul and Lord you are the bread help us strengthen us thank you Lord for taking us aside like you took the three and the twelve aside so many times to sit with them and to talk with them and to reveal yourself things that they were to spend the rest of their life sharing with others Lord may we get things out of these days that you would deeply imprint upon our heart. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.